Today's scripture reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. The, the requests of James and John. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Well, whoa, there, I'm on. Yes, special welcome to each and every one of you. So good to see you here. Welcome to any guests. Maybe you're here for the first time, and we're delighted that you could join us here at Knox. Um, this morning, I, I'm feeling pretty lousy. I got a bad head cold, and I'm not doing that just to get your sympathy or to excuse a bad sermon or anything like that. I'm just mentioning that because I need your help this morning, okay? Um, my energy levels are low. Help me out. Here's how you can do it. I was in a church uh, when I went to seminary, and it was, a it was in the United States, a beautiful uh, multicultural, multiracial church. And they had a couple of sort of call and response ways that they would sort of help the pastor out. So one of the ways they would regularly do is say, amen. Can you do that? Amen. All right. Another way was, mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Good. Another one, it really comes from the, the, the stomach. It's, it's a low guttural, but yes. And then, when the minister was sort of fading, you know, when mm, things weren't going, he was sort of trying to land that sermon, but couldn't he, someone would say, help him, Jesus. <laughs> okay, one, two, three. Help him, Jesus. There you go. Thank you. I need your help today, all right? Let's pray as we uh, prepare. Father, thank you for your word. It's a beautiful gift that you give to us. We've heard this word spoken to us now, and now we ask, God, that you would make that word come alive. It was a word spoken centuries ago, and we believe by the power of your Holy Spirit, you speak it again to our hearts today, and so do that work, God, among us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You got it. As you know, we are in the midst of a campaign called Ready for More. It's a capital campaign as we are seeking to raise the sum of $200,000 for the renovations for our sanctuary. We're not in our sanctuary. Sanctuary is being renovated. 
Um, and I'm so glad for how many of you have already stepped out in faith and have given generously. It's a beautiful thing, and I cannot wait to see all that God is going to do uh, as he continues to lead this beautiful process. But throughout this campaign, and I hope you've gotten the message, we've tried to make it clear, this isn't just about money, okay? This is so much more than about renovations, about plaster and paint and carpet and lighting. It is about us growing spiritually, stretching our faith. It is about growing a great life. It is about growing us as a community, to be a great community of faith. This is what we're after. And so it's good, when we think about it in that terms, it's good for us to, to consider, well, what does it mean for us to be great? What is a great life? What is greatness? How do you understand greatness? Some people might say that the secret of greatness is found in connections, these relational connections you have perhaps with people of privilege or power. If you were to go to someone on Bay Street, you might, and ask that same question, they might say that uh, greatness, the secret of greatness is found in something like financial clout or a big portfolio. For many, and I've been asking this question of a few people uh, throughout this week, uh, some of you probably here too, I, for what I've heard from many of you is that greatness is somehow connected with, with influence. It's connected with, with power that you possess or are connected with somehow. And that's, that's not a bad definition. It's not off in some degrees. It's connected to what Jesus is talking about here. And this is really important for us to, to think through, to think about greatness, to think about power, because it is a massive cultural conversation going on right now in our world. This very thing, power and who has it, and all the power dynamics that are at work in this world, in human lives and institutions, is something big on the minds of a lot of people. We're talking about issues like privilege and how certain groups and people have power and privilege, and maybe they have used it to the exclusion of others, and how others have been shut out from power and privilege, and what can we do about it to rectify that situation? And then, in a more focused way, our culture has focused in on one man, a Hollywood mogul, who a man with enormous privilege and power, and yet was discovered to be misusing and abusing that power and privilege in some horrible ways. So we're talking about this, and, and it's not a new conversation either, because throughout human history, we have been talking about how power gets used and exercised well. The academic world, that's a big focus of interest for many people in the academic world, beginning you know, with people like Friedrich Nietzsche and Michel Foucault, who have noted there are power dynamics everywhere, and they're right in naming that. There always is these power dynamics at play, but how they have... I think, misshaped the discussion about power and influence as they have understood power essentially as coercion, as a very negative thing. And so even when power looks life-giving, they would say, really, it's a fist that is going to come down hard on you sometime, somewhere. But what if there's another way? What if the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually good news for a world that is really wrestling with, struggling with, what to do with power? What if power is a genuine gift from God, a gift that no doubt gets distorted by sin, but a gift nonetheless that is critical to being a human being, a gift 
meant for the whole universe to come alive, to be what it was always meant to be. This is one of the great hopes, I think, of Christianity for our culture, how it offers to our world a a genuine, honest, life-giving understanding of power that is different than all of the distortions we see around us. The gospel tells us that our use of, of power and authority will always be disordered, will always be destructive in some measure until it gets connected to a restored relationship with the giver of power. And in this passage we read this morning, Jesus gives us some of the most hope-filled, life-filled teaching. And what he's doing in this teaching here is he's restoring to us what it means to be human. God has created every human being, the Christian story says, every human being with a measure of power. This is just how God has created us in his image. And we have a limited authority, and we can use that authority to make things happen. We do it all over the place. We do it in our workplaces, in our homes, in our relationships. Kids have the authority and power that they can exercise. You see it in a little kid growing up. You know, they tell their parents, no, let me do it, right? And the kid wants to exercise some power, some authority. It is just intrinsic to who we are. It's part of the goodness of creation to be an image bearer of God and to make meaning in this world. And it is good. And it is what um, makes us fully human at our best. But it is also what most corrupts us at our worst. So many understandings of power and influence distort our lives and so that people begin to assume some godlike attitudes or postures or characteristics about power, which is exactly what the serpent tempted humans in the Garden of Eden with, right? Remember what the serpent said? You will be like God. And that has distorted humanity's relationship with power ever since. And so power misuse seduces us towards that sort of idolatry. And so much destruction has happened because people have taken up power in an attempt to be God. And what we find in this passage is Jesus showing us a better way. He is showing us the way to greatness. He is showing the way for us as a community to be a great community in this world, the way for us to be fully alive again, the way to be fully human. He tells us the secret of a great life. And he's saying, you're never going to be great unless, until you learn how to serve. Whoever wants to be great among you, Jesus says, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, must be slave of all. Now, this is actually the culmination of three different teachings that Jesus has been laying out in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 8 through chapter 10 is sort of a unit, a pretty contained unit, and that contains similar themes running throughout. And Jesus, three different times, is teaching about who he is and how he is such a radically different Savior. He is a Savior who serves. He is a Lord who suffers. But every time the disciples hear that, it just doesn't compute, and they don't get it. Jesus repeatedly saying, do you still not understand? One of those instances was in Mark chapter 8, the very beginning of of that unit. And they're in a town called Caesarea Philippi, which is a Roman city dedicated to the power of 
Rome. It was sort of a demonstration of the Roman fist of power, this town. But in that very city, Jesus teaches a very different form of power. And he talks about how the Son of Man himself must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed. And so Jesus spoke plainly about these things. And again, the disciples just doesn't get, don't get it. And Peter rebukes Jesus. It doesn't fit his notions of, of how he should exercise power because they had a very worldly, a very Caesarea Philippi model of, of power in their heads. And so three times in these chapters, 8 through 10 in Mark, Jesus continues this common idea of uh, power but exercise in service, exercise sacrificially. And at two different times, interestingly, in this section, Jesus brings in children. He brings in children as sort of an emblem, a picture, and not of what we're necessary to become, but of people who are vulnerable and the people we are called to welcome. Because children in that day and age were at the bottom of the social pecking order. You know, the pecking order in terms of who's most powerful, who's the greatest. Children were just at the bottom of that social pecking order. And yet Jesus says, no, no, you, we are called to love and serve and welcome these little ones, the least of these. So there's this been repeated emphasis on, on this servant orientation. Three times he specifically teaches it. I'm not a leader like you think you, uh, I, I might be, it's different with me. God's kingdom doesn't work like the power structures and dynamics of this world. And still after all this, what happens? We get our story from today. Two disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, do whatever we want, would you? <laughs> That's a pretty carte blanche, bald request right there. Jesus, we want you to do whatever we want. And he says, what do you want? We want to, for one to sit at your right hand, the other at the... But you're left in glory. And they're saying, we want those places of power and prestige and privilege, Jesus. And so Jesus then goes to a definitive teaching on power and authority. He calls them together and he says, you know, you know it, you've seen it, that those who are regarded as rulers among the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And all the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is so stunningly good news, friends. This is good news for our world. That a world that is confounded by power and privilege and how to use that, this is news our world needs to hear, that our world needs our, the church to live out, to model to our world. Now you need to realize, I think an important thing about what Jesus is teaching here is Jesus is not talking about abdicating power. He's not talking about giving it away. He doesn't say to give away power. He's not denying it. Too many times, I think, when we hear this teaching of Jesus about, about the call to servanthood, we, we understand it as sort of this abdication of power. Just, you know, power is too wretched, a too corrupt thing. Let's just not touch it. Let's give it away. But think of Jesus. He doesn't do that. Right? He is the Son of God. He possesses all power and authority. And he puts that power, he exercises that power, but always in service to others, for the flourishing of others. This is what greatness is all about. 
to be a servant, to take whatever power and privilege you possess and to take up your authority, your God-given, God-ordained authority, and to put it in service for the good, for the flourishing of someone other than you. And, and the wonder of what Jesus does and the wonder of what he's teaching is, is a little paradoxical. Jesus brings together power and humility, strength and limitation and weakness. And we learn to be these great people, these servants, by both being strong and weak, by embracing both our God-given power and humility. Whoever wants to be great must be your servant. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Do you see the beauty of Jesus in this? Jesus is a king, someone who, who wields all authority and power, but he's a servant king. He's a suffering savior. Jesus, the omnipotent Lord of all things, he is not a bully who comes in and starts pounding people, but he uses that power and authority to tenderly lead and guide. He gives his life. On the cross of Jesus Christ, what we see displayed is the power of God's self-giving love. This, this is the greatness we're called to live out as a community. This is the power that heals the world, that brings flourishing to our city. A great church is one that serves selflessly with great love. But how do we practically do that? Because you know history is just littered with all the ways that this can go sideways and wrong, right? I mean, there's just so many. And it's not just world leaders, business leaders, political leaders, it's church leaders and it's churches who have corrupted power and allowed that to influence us. So how do we as a community of faith live this out? One person who's helped me um, understand what Jesus is talking about here is a journalist named Andy Crouch. And uh, one thing he does is he develops a, a two-by-two chart that brings together these seemingly paradoxical elements of authority and humility together. And so what he does on this chart, is it up there? There we are. We can map out uh, on the uh, y-axis, power and authority. And then on the other axis, the x-axis, um, servanthood or vulnerability. So that first, on that one, on that uh, y-axis, the power to act. We all have been given this power to, of agency. We have authority. We have strength that is God-endowed, God-created. But there's this other x-axis, which is this sense of um, humility, of dependence, of limitation, of vulnerability, of we're open to, we're, we're limited creatures. And so we're vulnerable to uncertainty, to loss. Again, this is all part of our created reality, right? God created us with his image, and in the Genesis story, we read about how we were created naked. Adam and Eve were naked. It's an image of our limitation, of our vulnerability, right? To be naked with someone is to be very vulnerable with someone. And you're just uncovered. You're known, fully known. This together is where greatness is found. And you see that in other parts of Scripture. In Psalm 8, it talks about the same paradox. The psalmist, David, is just sort of lost in the, in the wonder of of God's massive universe and creation, and he thinks how small and insignificant he is as a human being. And yet, then he also says, humans are crowned with glory. 
and how humans are made to be rulers over all the works of God's hands. Again, these two, what seem like incompatible things, brought together. So to be fully human and the path of following Jesus involves growing both in our authority and in our humility. And Jesus shows us that when you have power and this servanthood, this humility, strength and weakness together, that's where you have human flourishing. That's where life comes alive. But as we noted, this can go so wrong, and uh, we can get off track in so many ways. And Andy Crouch in this two-by-two chart helps us see this. Um, probably, let's see that chart. Probably, the, so we got the two axes, power and authority, servanthood, and vulnerability. Probably the most obvious place that we see the abuses of this so often, and what Jesus addresses here in this text, is to the left and to the top that top quadrant there. This is the exercise of authority or power without any humility, without any sense of vulnerability. And maybe that sounds appealing, right? Hey, I get to exercise power, but with no risk involved. And this is the easy temptation for everyone in authority. Jesus calls that, and he says, you know how this goes, right? How, how rulers of, of the Gentiles lorded over you. You know this, too, because we see it all the time, don't we? A Hollywood mogul exploiting very vulnerable women, a dictator with absolute authority, while the majority of his subjects live in abject poverty. This, we see this all the time, that lording over, and it is, it is the promise in every idolatry. This is, again, what the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. You will be like God. You will have all power. And then he said, you will not die. You will not be at any risk at all. There will be no vulnerability. And this, this actually, this places the evil behind every injustice. It is power without risk or loss because injustice is, is people, a few people living with Great power and authority at the expense of li others living with much vulnerability, deeply exposed to risk. One person's power and privilege is purchased at the other person's vulnerability. Not so with you, Jesus says. Not so with you. This is not the way my people live. So the exact opposite of that. Go to the right and down. Next uh, quadrant. This is another familiar one. It is the exact opposite of, of the... Uh, exploitation and this is where someone has no power and all dependence all vulnerability and they don't have the power even to change the vulnerable circumstances they're in this is poverty this is suffering um, and this is a clear violation of the image of god to not be able to exercise your god-given authority and to be so lorded over and dominated by another that your genuine God-endowed authority or power is taken away, it's stripped from you. Not so with you, Jesus says. This is not the way people flourish. These two sections are what we so often see when we think about power in our world, lording it over and suffering. But there's another one. down and to the left, that is becoming actually more prevalent in our world. What would it mean for us to have God-given authority and not use it, not exercise it, to be safe, 
to not risk, to just retreat into a very protective, bubble-wrapped world. More and more, this is possible. I mean, for, for most of history, people couldn't do that, right? Because they, it was just incapable. But, but more and more, people are able to do that because of their affluence. So people can retreat to gated communities, right? This is possible. To withdraw from risk. We withdraw from risk when we look at the world and we think, it's just too complex, too charged. I'm not going to say anything that's going to get me in trouble. I'm not going to risk being misunderstood. I'll just retreat. It's a safe place. Maybe on social media, you know, I'll post my outrage or my solidarity with an injustice instead of actually engaging with someone, with real people and real suffering. This is a growing temptation in our high-risk world. This is my temptation. You know, as a parent, as a dad, oh, I want to completely protect my kids, right? And that's a responsibility of me. But if I do not give my kids enough exposure to risk, if I don't help walk them through their own vulnerabilities, if I don't help them understand how to exercise their God-given authority and power, I condemn them to an eternal adolescence. This is not the place where God's people flourish, safety and retreat. This not so with you. True image bearers of God are missing in that quadrant because they're disengaged from the human suffering in the world, from the needs. They're disengaged from exercising their God-endowed authority. What we see in these three quadrants here are, are a world really without flourishing. But instead, Jesus calls us to something else. He calls us to be servants, to bring together the unique authority God has given to every human being, to take that amazing capacity that he has imprinted upon every human being to create, to develop, to act in meaningful ways, and then combine it with our limited humanity, with our vulnerability, with humility, and become servants, where we serve the flourishing of others. This is greatness, flourishing, image-bearing. This, Jesus says, is life. This is what brings life to the world, flourishing to the world. This is what it means to be fully human. This is how God acts in the world. Didn't Jesus say that? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. You've experienced that. Think of how people who have just served your life, caused you to flourish, have done that, have held together those two things, their legitimate authority and this humility. Think of your parents. Good parents does that. A good parent is authoritative and yet is vulnerable to their kids. They act with authority, but they also open themselves to their children and they show their heart, they show their weakness. This is the beautiful paradox, the healing paradox of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, light of light, God of God, the wisdom of the universe, humbled himself. He became utterly dependent, born as an infant. And as Philippians 2 tells us, he took the form of a slave. He humbled himself. He became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of this, because of this, we become alive and the healing of a broken world has begun. The question for us is, what are we going to do about this? 
are you going to live out this healing paradox of Jesus, which is risky, which is challenging? Will we be a people serving the flourishing of others? In light of this teaching of Jesus, knowing that you were made for this, you were created for this, you were saved for this, you were gifted for this. You know, we're not talking about some side issue here. We're talking what's so central to our Christian life, God's design for our lives. What are you going to do? Are you going to be a hearer of God's word today? Are you going to be a doer? Are we going to get up off our blessed assurance and do something and risk something? Or are we going to sit around and play it safe? We've got three options. I think we've got two options. One, you can walk out of here. You can head home and live as if these words were just nice words from Jesus. They don't really play out in the real world. Do you think God brought you here for that? You think God brought you here this morning just to sort of tickle our ears? Or you can do something about this, knowing that this is the very thing that God put you on earth for. You can become fully human again by serving the flourishing of others. Imagine a world where everyone lived like that. What if, what if unthinkable, I know, what if world politics could be dominated by that, where nations would serve the flourishing of other nations. Imagine what relationships, all our relationships, our work relationships, our familial relationships, our friendships, would be like if spouses and friends and coworkers stopped playing power games and instead we, we served one another. We used all our skills and capacities but to serve the good of others. Imagine what churches would be like Imagine what cities would be like if churches would do this, if we would serve the interests of others, if we would experience more love than fear, more freedom than this lording it over. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for more? Because that's the kingdom of God. That's the world Jesus taught about. That's a life he wants us to know so well. It's a love he wants us to know so well that he died on the cross hoping that the nails would finally drive home the point. Let's pray. Almighty God, you, the God of all power and wisdom and might, the astonishing thing is when you came to this world, God, you came as a servant, and that was no disguise. You didn't sort of flip off that disguise and ripple your muscles and show yourself. That was you revealing your true nature. Humble, a servant. This is who you are. Thank you, God. This is who you are. We praise you, God. We praise you that this is your true nature. Jesus Christ, you who were all authority, you humbled yourself to serve all, to give your life so we might live, so that we might participate in your full authority. Hallelujah, God. Thank you. This is your character. We bless you, Lord, for this. You are restoring us in your image. You send us into this world to end idolatry and injustice. God, we will be your people to do this. But we need you to come alongside and empower us by your Spirit. We need you, God, to liberate us from all the ways we have become so stuck in our understanding, our relationship with power. God, we pray for those of us today 
who have been stuck in that quadrant of poverty or suffering, who have only known coercive power, who have been so dominated, who have had their own authority taken away, stripped from them. God, would you liberate those right now? May they know your tender authority. May they know your loving sacrifice. May they know the dignity of the authority that you have invested in them. And we pray for those who are stuck in a place of all power with no vulnerability, people who have abused power for their own purposes, for their own ways. They're here among us, God. We're here. Liberate us from all those exploitative ways. Jesus, show us the beauty, the power of your humility, of your servanthood. But Lord, so many of us today, I think, are stuck in the overly safe places. We confess, God, we've retreated from risk. We've retreated and withdrawn from taking up our God-granted power and authority and stepping into uncertain places and doing it for the sake of others. God, forgive us for choosing safety over obedience. Forgive us for avoiding the tragedies and sufferings of this world, for not trusting your power. And so we pray, God, liberate us from complacency. Call us out of ourselves, Jesus. Call us to something far better. Make us strong enough to follow you. Make us fully alive, fully human, like the beautiful Savior we follow. And in his name we pray.